CFL fans, are you ready? Because it's time for the Canadian Football Countdown on Mike FM Winnipeg. Canadian Football Countdown starts now. Well, everybody, welcome to the Canadian Football Countdown. The Canadian Football Countdown is a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Listen to this and all the other great Canadian Football Podcast shows by visiting CF Pod Network on uh, Twitter at CFPodNetwork.ca. Well, this might be one of the weirdest uh, podcasts I've ever done in the history of the show. Um, I'm Michael Gale, first off, and I'm joined via telephone by my co-host, Brian Coop, who is somewhere in Winnipeg on his way to the show. Uh, we say good evening, Ryan. How are you? You know, I don't know what's worse. Like, uh, that bomber game Friday evening or being stuck in traffic for an hour and a half? It, unbelievable um, how things transpire from time to time. Uh, kind of a great segue. Uh, first off, we will talk about the Winnipeg Blue Bomber game, and it's, it's kind of interesting that from a standpoint that a lot of what I fought was going to happen was the Bombers to come back and win, obviously. But what wound up happening, I found, was a residual effect of what happened in the second half of last, the game before, against the Montreal Alouettes. And is it just a simple fact that Hamilton's the better team and Winnipeg didn't quite have the loss the week before out of their system, or how did you see it? Well, to me, like, I, I said it the week before on the podcast, right? I said the Ticats are the most complete team in the CFL, and they showed it again in this game. I mean, in the first half, Dane Evans threw for 308 yards against this Bombers defense. Uh, the defense shut everything down. The Bombers' offense had going. Special teams, they were having a good day. Like, there's a reason the Ticats are 11-3 and in first place in the CFL standings. It's not by luck. They've been disrespected all season long. Finally, this week, they're number one in the CFL power rankings, and I know we'll get into your power rankings a little bit later, and you've been a little more kind to them, you know, over the last number of weeks. But uh, to, to me, the Ticats are just the dominant football team, and, and they, you know, I, I said it last week, the one piece they were missing is the running game. Uh, they did get Terrell Sutton in there. Still didn't use him a whole lot, but they did find him for a key touchdown. Uh, so continue to get more integrated to the offense. So to me, it's more so the Ticats are just a really well-rounded team. And, and you know, maybe maybe that, like you said, that loss against Montreal is uh, in the Bombers a little hard right now because uh, they looked uh, pretty flat the entire game. Where where did you see things start to go wrong? Like, was there a moment in the game, Ryan, where you said, oh, this this isn't going to go very well? I mean, Chris Trebler got that early touchdown. Um, but was there a moment in time where you said, aha, this is just not going to happen tonight? Well, I mean, I think it was the first 
Well, I mean, yeah, like you said early in the game, the Bombers force you know, a punt on the first tie-catch drive. They go and score a touchdown themselves. You think, great, and things are working out. But you could just see early on, once Dane Evans starts tearing that defense apart, and, you, you know, the Bombers did have a chance to get back into it a couple of times. Like, they were still for a while within striking distance. I mean, it's the CFL, anything within striking distance. Just look at the Montreal-Winnipeg game the week before. But the one that absolutely killed it, you know, there was there was a bit of time late in the game. It was, it was definitely that Chris Strebler interception. Uh, he tries to throw the ball to Andrew Harris, goes right to the defender who takes it all the way back to Robert's 10-yard line. Tycat score there. That was just a throw that should have never been made. Uh, you know, big 14-point swing or something like that there. You know, Bombers are in, uh, getting close to the red zone. Then all of a sudden, uh, Hamilton puts a touchdown on the board. So, you know, they didn't look good all night long, but they were still hanging around to some extent. And uh, that, that turnover there just killed it. Well, it's weird. They, it's kind of interesting. Do you compare it in any way? Now, I know the two games are different, but do you compare it to any way that same game uh, that the Bombers had in Hamilton there, their first loss? I think it was about week eight when they were 6-0. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Uh, you know, the offense that has been pretty good at times seems to fall flat against the tie gaps. It almost seems they couldn't put the points on the board. Uh, in that first game against Hamilton, Dane Evans still struggled quite a bit against Bombers defense. I mean, he was coming into the game. He hadn't started a game yet. Um, this game, he lit them up early, lit them up often. And, and I don't know, Mike, maybe, maybe you know the answer to this. What's going on for a Bombers defense that early in the season was playing lights out? It, it seems to be, and this seems to be the trend in the last couple of years that once we get past Labor Day, And I'm wondering if I'm wondering if it's a byproduct, Ryan, of uh, other teams just being able to finally finish off their drives, right? You, you, you talked about, you know, bending not break. I mean, how many drives in, in recent games, especially before Labor Day, have ended up in uh, have ended up in other teams taking field goals uh, pretty substantially deep in Blue Bomber territory? Uh, and it being three instead of seven and keeping the Bombers kind of up front. And, and now it's just a matter of, you know, the other teams finishing off their drives against the Bombers. And, you know, you know, I have to think back and maybe this has been a season long problem for the Bombers and the problems now are starting to manifest themselves at the wrong possible time. Like to me, the, the score, what was, what was the final score in this one, Mike? It was 30-something to 13? Yeah, it was uh, 33-13. Yeah, so 33-13. To me, like, that score almost flatters the Bombers because the Ticats were playing safe football the entire way. Like, they got down to the two-yard line, the three-yard line, decided to take a field goal from there. There was a time later, too, where it was like, okay, third and one. Nope, they're going to send the field goal unit out there. Like, it's almost as if the Ticats weren't scared uh, of the Bombers' offense. Didn't believe they could get past their defense enough. That uh, they just thought they could play a conservative football game and ride the whole way there. And uh, on the other hand of things, you know, I, I 
I hate to say it, but I'll call the Bombers out on this. They didn't look like they wanted to be there. Um, offensively, defensively, I, I know Justin Medlock missed the field goal. Like the to me, the one guy that really stood out to me is wanting to be there and giving his all out on the field. This game was Kenny Waller. Uh, Ten catches, 130 something yards. Again, I don't have stats in front of me because I'm driving to the studio right now. But uh, you know, he was catching everything, and I think it was a bit of a statement by Chris Strebler on the final drive of the game when uh, four or five straight passes in garbage time go straight to Kenny Waller. Like he wasn't even looking at any of his other receivers at that point because nobody was taking the hustle to catch the ball, and not that Strebler had a great game himself either necessarily. I don't think he was terrible besides those picks. But to me, Kenny Waller was the one guy who seemed really amped up to be out there, and uh, the rest of the team across the board just seemed like the energy level just wasn't there. Now, I was on the road with a hockey team uh, Friday night, so I didn't see the game, so I'd advance apologies, but uh, to look up to look up your numbers, it was 10 catches for 144 yards and a 14.4 yard average. The other thing I wanted to ask about was Andrew Harris. 10 carries for only 37 yards rushing. Was that a byproduct in your mind of the score being so out of hand so early? No, I, I don't think it should be. I, I uh, took to their credit, the Ticats have great defense. Like, first of all, Whatever you want to say about him, there's there's all the controversy over his suspensions. Uh, Simone Lawrence set the CFL record with 17 tackles in a game. Like that that is a monster performance. It's it's unbelievable. Like I didn't even I was at the game, so I wasn't following the stats too closely while I was there. And you go and text me after the game and tell me Simone Lawrence set the CFL record with 17 tackles. Like to me. That's the big factor here, is a strong game by the Ticats defense. Okay, so you have been harping on me for weeks about, you know, it's time to give Hamilton some respect. You know, I, you know uh, full well how bullish I've been on the Montreal Alouettes the last number of weeks. I think I finally have to start to come around on on. Uh, on uh, the Hamilton Tiger Cats and, and start taking them seriously. I'll, I'll tell you this. I'll make this bold claim right now. One of those two teams win the Grey Cup in 2019. One of Hamilton or Montreal. Okay, sorry. I did Hamilton or Montreal. Yeah, I did want a clarification. I thought you meant Winnipeg or Hamilton and both. And, but no, you're talking about the two Eastern teams, right? Yeah, I, I think Hamilton's the most consistent, the most well-around team in the CFL. And to me, the Montreal Alouettes are a team that's built for those crazy playoff stories, right? Uh, sure, they end up on the losing end of a wild one this week, and I'm sure we'll get into this in a little bit here, unless mm-hmm. you want to get straight into it now. But uh, the Alouettes have been in more last-minute, close, crazy finishes than anybody else in this league. Like, this is a team that rallies the final whistle. And sometimes they end up on the wrong end of things, but as they showed against Bombers last week, you know, they can make that late game comeback. Yeah, and first off, and, you know, you, you might be driving towards me and you might not be able to see my face right now, but uh, what wound up being interesting is that you knew exactly when the sideway was for the next game and you just hit that sideway with flying colors. Um... And that is something I wanted Anybody's to get. Ever, 
Uh, uh, we might never need to record this in studio again. Wow. We're, we're just that in sync. We'll, we'll, we'll just do a driving podcast the entire way. Wow. Let's be fair, and let's be very clear. You're doing this podcast on a hands-free device. You're not talking to me while driving, i.e. distracted driving. Yes, yes, very clear. It's all legal. Let's, 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 let's make that very clear before we get the complaints uh, this week. Uh, just the interesting scenario for Montreal coming into the game. They lose 25-23. Uh, the lead story of the game, ironically enough, is that uh, their starting quarterback got suspended in Vernon Adams Jr. And uh, Matthew Schultz has to start the game. But... One would suggest that, you know, Mr. Schiltz wasn't to blame for this one. 10 of 19 for 177, one touchdown, one interception. And, you know, William Stambach, 14 carries for 147, including a big one right at the end. And then Eugene Lewis, three catches for 114 yards and a touchdown. You would think that's all fine and dandy, right? Like, Montreal played well enough to win this game. Then you look at Mike Riley, who's all of a sudden found himself in a resurgence. 30 of 34 for 309, a touchdown and interception. John White, 78 yards uh, rushing. And Brian Burnham, 7 catches for 77. And BC has 23 first downs offensively and 378 total yards. The fact is, Montreal got 401. So... Montreal had just as much right to win this game as BC did. And that speaks to your point about, you know, Montreal being kind of right up there for great cup contenders as far as, you know, taking games down to the wire. Well, this, as crazy as Montreal's comeback over the Bombers was last week, this game might have even topped that for the way it finished because, like, you can't make this up. Uh, you know, you mentioned Vernon Adams Jr. out of the lineup. Matt Schultz comes in. I thought he played, you know, not great early in the game, but he started to get it together. And then late in the game, he puts up a touchdown drive that puts the Alouettes ahead, including running a lot on that drive. He had a couple great runs, including a beautiful one for a touchdown. Puts the Alouettes ahead by a couple points there. Uh, BC gets the ball back, drives down the field. Deron Carter takes a taunting penalty after goes and moves them back a little bit. BC has to kick about a 50-yard field goal while they're up by two. It gets blocked. Montreal takes the ball back. William Sandback runs 40 yards down to about the 10-yard line. Mm-hmm. The Owls gets a third and one from the two. They could kick a field goal to go up by a single point. But let's be clear here. I I applaud Kahari Jones' decision because you're going up by one point with a minute left against Mike Riley. You're not you're not winning this game. And especially, I, I, especially Ryan, just to back up your statistical analysis, Riley had four incompletions the whole night. Yeah. Yeah, ridiculous. Like, like, like it was the right call. And generally, a third and one, you should be able to get a yard. Mm-hmm. But Antonio Pipkin fumbles the freaking football, picks it back up, gets stopped short, and the BC Lions go on to win the game. Mike, Mike, a little brain teaser trivia question for you. Okay. 
which CFL team has the best grip strength? Had the best what? Pardon me? Grip strength. No idea. The BC Lions, because right now with this win, they're hanging off the ledge, but they're hanging on tight. Because they're still in the playoff race. If they lose this game, they're out. True that. And here's another... Here's another interesting thing too. Montreal missed. They have that touchdown with under under six minutes left that you just spoke about. They missed a two point convert, which would have tied the football game at twenty five. Yeah, if there was so there's like this game could have ended in like ten different ways. Right, and, and, and it ended, and I'm just left sitting there speechless because not only did the Alouettes lose the game. I lost my fantasy matchup with Superfan Mike from the Eskimo Empire podcast by 1.4 points. I came so close with the Williams Stanback run. They don't give them the ball on the goal line. And uh, maybe if they had, both me and the Alouettes would have won this week. That, that's the fine line between winning and losing. But what I gather from this conversation, both teams, despite having you know, BC, despite having the opportunity and the likelihood of maybe being eliminated this weekend, depending what the Eskimos do, both teams have a right to feel more positive than negative about this game. Yeah, and I think it's great to see. You know, the BC Lions would have thought this after the way they started. They've won three straight games now. Uh, it's really unfortunate for them that the Eskimos played Ottawa this week and ended up winning that game because... Now, essentially, Edmonton has to lose out. BC has to win out the rest of the way for them to make the playoffs. Like, to me, it's looking too late at this point. I, I know the remaining schedules. I know Edmonton's got a game against Hamilton this week. They have BC and then a home-and-home with Saskatchewan. Like, chances are, I would imagine Edmonton wins one of the two against Saskatchewan. Uh, if BC can go and beat them, you know, that, that means good things for them. But BC also has to play... Edmonton, they have to play Calgary, and uh, I think they have one more there. I forget who again, but hey, are, I, you know, I I have a feeling the Lions are like we're going to get to a point here. Like the Lions might be eliminated from the playoffs this week, but by the time the final standings are there, we may have we may only see them miss the playoffs by one win. Yeah, here here's the schedule: three of the remaining four games should be zero at home. Home this week to Toronto, then they go to Edmonton. Uh, they go, they host Saskatchewan and they host Calgary. So, is it likely that they make the playoffs? No, but they certainly make it interesting. Absolutely. Here's the interesting thing quickly that I wanted to talk about. Matt Schultz looked really good uh, com- compared to the previous start that he had made. Do you attribute that to Kahari Jones' system or the overall improvement of the Montreal Alouettes as a whole? I'd say a bit of both. I, I think there's no doubt in my mind that uh, Kahari Jones has had an outstanding impact not only on the quarterbacks but the entire team here uh, for the Alouettes. But, uh, yeah, overall the offensive talent around him. I mean, when you have William Sandback playing as well as he did in this game, when you have, you know, the receivers available to you, and I'll say it, I think Montreal's offensive line is much improved this year over how it has been the past couple of seasons. Yeah, and you you can't understate uh, the importance of uh, uh, Kahari Jones like we've always talked about. 
So, so here's the question for you. And, and I'm going to say buy or sell, or do you agree or you, you disagree? At the end of the season, when the awards get voted on, Western Coach of the Year, Craig Dickinson for Saskatchewan, Eastern Coach of the Year, Kahari Jones. You buying what I'm selling? I, I could see Craig Dickinson, first-year head coach, being the West nominee. Uh, do I think Kahari Jones deserves to be the Eastern nominee? Yeah, I think he's done, like I said, I think he's done incredible things with the West, but I don't know, like, we have a couple games left in the season. The Ticats are at 11 and 3 right now. Uh, they pick up a couple more wins. You know, Orlando Steinhauer, this is his first year as head coach, taking over the head coaching role there in Hamilton, isn't it? So, I, I, I don't know if you can deny giving it to him either. Here, here's the interesting scenario. Hamilton had a talented team. We weren't sure about Montreal. That, that, that's all I'm saying to this. Like, everybody expected, okay, if you want to put, you know, you know, even Dave Dickinson up for, for Western nominee of the year, you, you could put Dickinson, but, you know, Calgary's track record had them up near the top of the, top of the West. O'Shea's bombers, well, they were supposed to be there given the preseason pundits. To me, the two teams that aren't supposed to be where they are are Montreal and Saskatchewan and the standing sorry, not sorry. But it's kind of interesting how team success also is fueled by coaches' success, right? So if you take away the talent, like if you take away the roster talent-wise... Who deserves to be that coach of the year? And I, and I, I think it's Craig Dickinson and I think it's Kahari Jones. I mean, we all expected Hamilton to be very, very good, but I don't think we expected to be, see Montreal this good, especially having fired their head coach and hired their head coach before the season. That's just me. So let's talk about the other end of things here then. Uh, you know, we talk about the two people who we think are going to be the candidates for Coach of the Year, and I generally agree with you. Um, I don't think any decisions are going to come down yet during the season, but naturally things are going to change after the Grey Cup. Uh, looking at the CFL head coaches right now, looking at the, uh, the GMs right now, are there any that you see potentially losing their job this offseason? Um, I don't know. I don't know if Toronto wants to fire their coach because I think that's Corey Chamberlain. I don't know if he loses his job just because I think that's an overall talent issue. I don't know if you can make that same justification for Ottawa. Having been to the Grey Cup three times in four years, I think you give Rich Campbell a chance. And I don't think you fire first-year head coach Devon Claybrook either, especially with the strong second half and his... Uh, his coaching staff seemingly been able to figure it out the last couple of weeks. So, if I had to, if I had to say that one coach was going to be fired, I would have to say it would be Corey Chamberlain in Toronto, or if things go really, really badly, maybe Jason Moss in Edmonton. Yeah, I, I think things would have to go pretty badly for that one to happen. Um, well, can we talk about the whole? quarterback carousel thing going on this week with with the Ottawa Red Blacks. Like, we knew coming into the week, both quarterbacks were going to get playing time, and uh, they start swapping pretty early in the game. I know Dom Davis ended up taking 
majority of the snaps, I believe, until he got injured later on. Yeah. Like, what, what is that? Like, what is happening with Ottawa's offense? You have offensive coordinator by committee half the season. You have quarterback by committee now. Like, how are you supposed to ever develop any sort of consistency? Here's the thing. I think they want to light a fire under both guys. I think this is an open audition to say who wants this job next year. And I, 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 I think to be blunt, they don't trust both guys. No, I I don't think either guy is going to be the starting quarterback for the Red Blacks next year. There are a bunch of, we, we've talked at it, you know, the Bombers have Matt Nichols, Chris Strebler, the Tigers have Mazzoli, Dane Evans, Calgary's got Nick Arbuckle that going to be expendable because they're not going to get rid of Bowie by Mitchell. Like, we have all of these kind of backup quarterbacks who have shown they can play this year. One of these guys is going to end up as a starter in Ottawa next year. I have no doubt about that. It's just a matter of which one. I, I don't think the quarterbacks they have there now are the answer, and I don't think the offensive system they have right now is the answer there. Like, the, the Red Blacks now have lost, what is it, nine straight games, and over that span, I, I think I was hearing on the TSN broadcast, like, they're averaging 17 points a game. Yeah, and their losses are, like, by 10-plus quite substantially. Yeah, so I, I, I don't I don't know where Ottawa goes from here. I, 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 I guess the rest of the season is just audition period for them. Uh, <sighs> you see either of those quarterbacks being on the team next year, or... Uh, I may be one of them sixth round as a backup, but uh, what do you see happening? I, I think if you're Ottawa, you wipe the slate clean, to be completely honest. And I I know there's people in Ottawa, especially on Twitter, but I was reading but why well aren't aren't it to be the aren't to be the quarterback. Honestly, I don't throw him into that, that uh I don't throw him into that tire fire yet. And then you exposed him and you shatter his confidence too? Like, Jonathan Jennings' whole issue, in my opinion, was he lost his confidence ever since that shoulder injury. The general manager, as I recall, threw him under the bus. I can't see how Finch got any better for his confidence this year. Now, if you want to point somebody and you want to blame somebody squarely on for this whole mess and this goes back to what I said in in on one of the off season shows. You wanna blame somebody? Blame the general manager Marcel Marcel Desjardins, who, you know, pretty much hitched his wagon and banked on the fact that Trevor Harris was gonna come back. Uh and it didn't end up happening. Harris ended up bolting for for Edmonton. But then the secondary matter is and I said this on one of the shows, it's there's a lot of quarterbacks out there, but it's like the game of musical chairs. Somebody was gonna be left without a chair when the music stopped. <coughs> Excuse me. And that just happened to be uh the Ottawa Red Bot and the music stopped and they don't have a quarterback and they they did their best to try to find an option. And unfortunately, they uh, couldn't. Um, unfortunately, they their projections were uh, too high on the guys that they had on their roster. 
Yeah, yeah, I agree with you there, Mike. Um, Trevor Harris goes to the six-game injured list before this week. Logan Kilgore gets the second straight start. He pulls out the win. Uh, what do you think of his performance this week uh, over his uh, game against Calgary the week before? And can the Eskimos, uh, how far can the Eskimos go with Logan Kilgore at quarterback? Well, I think the Eskimos are, are a much better talented team uh, overall than the Ottawa Red Blocks uh, personnel-wise. And uh, so, I mean, you put any quarterback in Edmonton, and I think they're going to have have success. And that's not just how I feel about, you know, the talent disparity between Ottawa and Edmonton. But I did see terrific strides uh, with Logan Tildor uh, at quarterback this weekend. You know, he wasn't making those mistakes, but sure, it wasn't pretty, but hey, it's a backup win with a backup quarterback. And maybe, maybe he starts to get a lot uh, with more audition time at a possible number one spot. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting to me, too, because, you know, as a backup quarterback, I mean, you never want to wish another guy to go down injured. But, like, this is a great opportunity for you for a guy that doesn't normally get much playing time to now have the shot to go and, hey, look, any other team out there, because I, I doubt he'd surpass Trevor Harris on the depth chart coming into next year. I'm pretty sure he won't. You know, may, maybe he gets a shot from one of these teams looking for a shot here. Mike, I have pulled into the studio parking lot finally, so I'll turn it over to you. Uh, give us your power rankings for the week while I make my way into the studio and uh, get set up here. Okay, Ryan, we will talk to you soon. Uh, the power rankings for this week, and I just hit a few buttons. You're fast. Uh, made sure that uh, pins are working A-okay, which I believe they are. Uh, the power rankings, uh, number one will be the... Hamilton Tiger Cats, uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, the Tiger Cats are the best team as evidenced by their name against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. The next team I have on my power rankings, by the way, the Tiger Cats are 11 and 3. The number two team on my power rankings are the Saskatchewan Rough Riders coming in with a 9 and 4 record. They have a big, uh, decisive victory against the Toronto Argonauts. And uh, that will be head-to-head for second place <clears throat> in a game with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. The third-place team on my list of power rankings, the Calgary Stampeders at 9-4. and four. The Stamps are number three on my power rankings list. Number five, the 7-6 and six Montreal Alouettes. Uh, the Alouettes really could be 8-5. and five. But as a result of a loss uh, this week, hard luck in BC, uh, they are one game above 500. Number six, and it pains me to put the team at number six, but they're not playing well at all of late. I don't want to pay Blue Bombers, and they are nine and five, and in a world of hurt, having lost the last two games. Number seven will be the BC Lions, who have their highest. Uh, output on the power rankings of late. Number eight will be the Toronto Ardenauts. The Ardenauts, of course, at two and eleven. And the interesting thing, having lost eleven of twelve, and you deserve to be number nine in the power ranking when you lose eleven of twelve. And that is the Ottawa Red Blots 
at number nine. And Ryan, I must admit, it is so wonderful to have you across from me now. How's it going, Mike? Good. That was the worst did, did, drive. Did, did, did. This has been going on for 33 minutes. Yeah, and my drive went on for an hour and a half. Normally, Corey, normally it takes me about 42 to get here because I work huh. in the south end of the city. This is north, just out our studios north, just outside the city here. And uh, normally I take the perimeter highway, which I did again today. And well, one of the traffic lights was out, and then. We started recording the podcast, and I finally got going, uh, you know, back to regular speed down the highway, and I was so focused on the podcast that I missed my turn off to turn onto the road that I needed to here, so uh, I had to make a bit of a backtrack, so showed up a little later than I wanted to, but I'm here now. We've talked a lot of CFL so far. Uh, were there any topics that we... Uh, that you had wanted to bring up that we um just quickly to recap that I don't know if you uh talked the beginning of my power ranking, but I didn't want to recap my power ranking real quick. I'll see if you agree with me. Number one, Hamilton. Number two, Saskatchewan. Number three, Calgary. Number four will be the Calgary Stampeders. Sorry, Hamilton, Saskatchewan. Calgary will be number three. Uh, Montreal, number four. Winnipeg number... Ah, shoot. I lost my order. It's all on the podcast. Yeah, just re-listen to the podcast. I'm sure it was great, Mike. You you crush it as always. You put Hamilton... I know what I did. Ah, never mind. Just listen back. You you put Hamilton at number one. You did something right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I put Hamilton at one, Winnipeg at six. And I can't remember the order. I think it was Hamilton... Hamilton, Saskatchewan, Calgary, Montreal, Edmonton, Montreal, Edmonton, Winnipeg. Yeah, I would agree. Something like that. Something like that. But uh, you can listen back about ten minutes from now. Uh, this is. But the interesting thing that I want to talk about, but we have not talked about yet. We did talk about uh, the BC game. We did talk about uh, Toronto a little bit in Coach Troy Chamberlain. But we haven't really talked much about that game, uh, right? And I, I, I want and the guy I want to, so. di- yeah, the guy I want to talk about was Cody Pajardo, who had his best start as a rider. Um, your thoughts on what Cody's been able to do? Uh, Todd Servit, he's negotiating a two or three year contract extension to stay in Regina. It's just it's funny because like. If you were, if you're somebody out there and expect Cody Fajardo to eventually to become the starting QB for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders this season and currently sit third in CFL passing yards, like if you expected that preseason, like go and, and in like, our fantasy, he's my most productive quarterback. Well, like like go buy a lottery ticket or something because apparently you know everything. If you knew this ahead of the season that Cody Fajardo would be playing this good, nobody expected it. He's playing lights out. Um, this this week showed it even more. You know, Toronto needed a win here to try to keep things. I'm I think they're still mathematically in playoff contention, but it's like just like BC, they're hanging off that ledge right now. And I think BC, like I said, has the greater grip strength. Um, Toronto looked awful in this game from what I've heard uh, against the Riders. Saskatchewan uh, ran all over them. Uh, Cody Fajardo 
puts up 41 points, uh, only 278 yards passing, sure, whatever, but three touchdowns through the air, one on the ground, 80 yards rushing, uh, spread the ball around to his different receivers here. I mean, Saskatchewan's rolling in a pretty fine form heading into the playoffs here, and it's interesting. It's just interesting looking at the top of that West Division because with the loss this week, with the Riders' win, the Bombers fall to third in the division at nine and five. Calgary and Saskatchewan tied at nine and four. Heck, Edmonton's seven and seven. They're close behind actually still. So this is going to be a dogfight in the West Division. And is it inconceivable? Like in my mind, I still keep picturing Calgary's going to go out and win the division yet. But is it inconceivable to think, why the heck not can the Riders win the West Division? I well, they, they beat the well Bombers. They did that head-to-head. They got one or two more left with Calgary. One more, I think. I know they played once, and that was the Riders' worst game of the year. And, the and then two with Edmonton and one with BC. Both teams are playing better, especially BC. I don't, I, I don't know. I still, I still think when it's all said and done, and shoulder me a homer, whatever you want to call it, I still think first place comes down to that bomber, Stampeder week nineteen, week twenty games. I, I think a lot of things will be settled this week. Uh, Winnipeg, Saskatchewan, this coming game. That's a huge one because. You know, a win means everything in the standings, and a win means a four-point differential between those two teams because, uh, well, they've split the series so far this third game. Winner of this one wins the season series, and you you have the Riders coming out off of this shellacking of the Argos, and you have the Bombers that are reeling a little bit right now going into Regina where it's tough to play. Like The only other thing that would concern me about the Riders potentially finishing both is the fact that after this home game, they have three straight road games in the in the division because of that outdoor NHL game in Regina. Just a thought. Hey, not a bad idea to be, uh, to be on the road for uh, three weeks to gear up for playoff football. Yeah, but I, I just can't get over that the Riders are as good as they are. All around. Do you remember week two? Fitz, uh, not Fajardo, but Talaros gets hurt. He's no longer. Well, that was week team. one. Yeah, yeah. So week one. So week two, the coach said, yeah, we're going to start Fajardo, but Harker will see some action too, and whoever plays best. And since then, they haven't really looked back, and Fajardo might be an MOP nominee. Yeah. I'm a bit it, disappointed. It, you, I was hoping we'd see a parallel between the, the Riders in Week 2 with the dual quarterback system and Ottawa this week. Like, why didn't Jonathan Jennings go out and throw 400 yards and four touchdown passes and uh, not let not let Dom Davis get out there on the field? But, you know, it's interesting that you bring that up because I was definitely thinking about that with the Ottawa thing this week with the quarterback switching. Is Well, that's what the Riders did in Week 2. Except Isaac Harker never got a chance to see the field. And now Cody Fajardo, I would guess, is pretty high up there on Ryder's jersey sales. Yeah, and the other thing that's interesting to me is there was subtle message sending in, in, and I forgot to mention this while you were on the phone today. I just thought of it now, but there was subtle message sending. Let's not kid ourselves to both Jonathan Jennings and Dom Davis. And that simple thing was this. The quarterback competition is open. Who wants it? Take it. The door is there. Somebody take it and do something. And unfortunately, nobody was able to walk through the door and take the job. 
Well, Dom Davis, to me, was the better quarterback. He saw a lot of the second-half action until he hurt himself fairly substantially by the looks of it. But to me, I I just, it goes to show that if you don't have a proper quarterback in this league, you can forget about coming anywhere near first in the division. What do you think of uh, James Franklin taking over the starting role this week over McLeod Bethel-Thompson? Uh, what did, uh, I mean, obviously, they put up 16 points on the board only. They don't get a lot done. But uh, 21 of 30, 208 yards, a TD, two picks. Uh, what do you think of how James Franklin played? And what do you do the rest of the season if you're Toronto? Finney, I don't even think they know what they want to do. The thing is, you see glimmer from both quarterbacks. I mean, McCloud Bethel Thompson one week looked like he's going to be a world beater, and he's going to be an MOP, and he's going to throw for 450 yards a game. And then the next day, he's got 14 completions for 100 and something yards and a couple interceptions. So it's just not like the, the, the quarterbacks are too inconsistent, and I would put Toronto in that boat as somebody was looking for an upgraded quarterback that's not on their roster. But then again, I don't think you can begin to evaluate the quarterbacks until you evaluate that roster. That ta- offense has very talented players in SJ Green, Darrell Walker, both of which have been dragged through the mud career-wise and numbers-wise, because of the inability to have a consistent quarterback. You know... And maybe it's Josh Chapelaine, but, you know... Yeah. Maybe Chapelaine is the problem, and you get rid of Chapelaine, and you bring in an offensive coordinator. I mean, he didn't exactly spark high-flying offense in Montreal. He didn't exactly, as far as I remember, and I could be wrong on this, spark a high-flying offense in BC. Jeff Shoppelane offenses have never been high-scoring. It's... Don't you think that's an issue? I hate to say this, but it's... It's kitty-by-the-door football. You're too reliant on your defense to make something happen. The CFL ain't what it used to be years ago. How many points do you need to win a game now? 25, 30 points? Most nights? Yeah, I'd say the average game, probably something like that. Have the Ardos come close to that? Not not many nights. No. And they don't have a defense that really turns the ball over and scores points. That's what separates the top of the West right now. And I'm sorry to say at the top of the East, or the bottom of the East... Toronto defense just doesn't score enough off of their turnovers. I can't remember the last time Toronto scored a defensive touchdown. Yeah, I can't either. And that's a big problem when you need an offense that's already struggling. And I don't want to pile on. But to me, if an offense doesn't help a defense, you can't expect the defense, which doesn't have a lot of a pass rush to begin with. Then I'm sorry, like, it's just inconsistent across the board. And it's a team that looks, looks like they say, oh, we have no chance to make the playoff. Let's shut down and worry about next year. Yeah, you mentioned playoffs. Uh, I and, think- and I don't know why the Bombers and all these other teams aren't calling Toronto and saying, 
What would it take to get Darrell Walker? What would it take to get James Feinberg? Heck, what would it take to get McCall Bethel-Thompson? Yeah, and, and frankly, I think the Bombers, now that Matt Nichols is out for the season, should go and get one of those guys. And we, um, have, we haven't even talked about that, and we're 45 minutes into this, but Matt Nichols' season is over. I thought we mentioned that last week. Maybe we didn't. I don't. I don't remember. The weeks have just all blurred together. I feel like I'm just stuck in no, traffic. No, the bomber. The bombers <laughs> made the announcement last Thursday. Okay, so we didn't talk about it. Didn't last talk week, about but it, but yeah, Chris Trebler's the guy. Rest of the season now. Um, but Trebler threw for 300 yards. Most of it. In come gar- on, Mike. Most of it in garbage time. But Can we just for, talk about? But he threw for 300 yards. Yeah. So everything's better now. Our Except quarterback didn't threw win for the game. 300 lost, yards. It's they great. lost by 20. Can we just is talk it, about for a second? Is it Strebler's fault that the defense couldn't stop a beach ball in the first half? Can we just talk about for a second here how Dane Evans throws for 308 yards in the first half, and yet by the time the final whistle blows, Strebler's only 50 yards behind him passing? Like, Dane Evans had 50-something yards only in the second half. He didn't need to throw any more than that. Defense stepped it up in the second half. The offense didn't. The offense tried to step it up in the first half, but the defense didn't. And the special teams took a penalty on every play that they were involved in. Yeah, every every single return, pretty much for both sides, had a, had a holding penalty on it. So it was one of those games, you know, you're sitting in the stands and you, you just try to forget about that one and move on to Silver the next had week. the clock-chewing drive to start the game. That's positive. Everything after that was... Get me home. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Uh, try to forget that one and move on to week number 17 as four more games on the CFL schedule. Another triple header on Saturday. Uh, CFL fantasy talk. Uh, I mentioned earlier already I did lose my CFPN fantasy challenge matchup superfan Mike this week. Uh, man, Mike's my kryptonite. Two games this year. Beat me in both of them. Uh, yeah. Better not be matched up with them in the playoffs. Well, we'll we'll see what happens there. But yeah, I'm uh, I'm a little nervous if I do run into him in the playoffs. <laughs> uh, I did fall just short. Had the second best score of the week this week, but it was not enough uh, to top him. So congrats to Superfan Mike of the Eskimo Empire podcast. And this week I face off with uh Brazilian tie from the two and out CFL podcast. So I am at ten and six, still tied in that three way log jam atop the standings. I believe Brazilian tie is nine and seven, so we could be tied if he uh if he beats me this week, so I'll try to stop that. Uh getting into our fantasy league, our long format league we do all season long, Mike. Uh another close week this week. Let me just grab the totals for you here. Uh we both had a couple big players. Uh, apparently we've sent a lot of text messages to one another today because I have to scroll back decently far in our conversation. This morning. No, I sent it last night. 171.42 for me, 169.28 for you, so less than two points uh, differentiate us, or I guess slightly more than two points. Uh, Overall, how did you feel about the fantasy week? I, I thought it was pretty good considering I had bully by Mitchell on by. Bo on by, Eric Rogers on by, uh, Corey Greenwood, I believe. Put up, put up, put up an, enough points to, to be right there. 
Can we just talk about for a second the thing we were talking about last night, you and I, Mike, about you you look at the start of the season, you look at our fantasy QBs now. I have Chris Streveler, Vernon Adams, Dane Evans. You have Mike Riley, Bo Levi Mitchell, Cody Fajardo. Who would have thought these guys would be our fantasy superstars come the start of the season, right? You you were mentioning this last night when we were talking. Uh, four of our six QBs in fantasy football are guys that weren't the starting quarterback for their team coming into this year. That speaks to how volatile the, how up and down the quarterback market is. Well, and even around the league, it's crazy how things change in a season. Like Luke Tasker, Brad Sinopoli, uh, SJ Green, these are all guys that typically are, you know, 1,000-yard receivers up there, close to that at least, and they're out there struggling this season like where is Brad Sinopoli does he still play for the Red Blacks it's a byproduct of the offensive system in my opinion I mean they had Trevor Harris and Jamie Alzondo they made him an impact important player all of a sudden it's RJ Harris well one would argue their most prized receiver are we really surprised that Ottawa's this bad? No, we kind of called it coming into this year. But I, know, I know they started 2-0, and and they shouldn't have. But you can have a, be a bad football team and still have a dominant receiver like Brad Sinopoli. To be fair, Dominic Rimes has had a great season for Ottawa. And he might be my MOP there. Yeah. Certainly not your quarterbacks. No. But I, I just don't know. Red, Red Blatt's plant. Fans who expected better. I don't know what they expected given on what they accomplished in the off season. It's like I said earlier. They had musical chairs with the quarterback and Ottawa got left without a chair. Good point. When the music stopped. Uh, let's get into our picks here for week 17. Uh, week 16 CFL pick em. Uh I did originally on the show pick Montreal to beat BC. That was before we knew Vernon Adams was suspended. Uh, so I did switch my pick. Uh, boy, that was that a close game, but I pulled out the win in that one. Uh, so I went three and one this week because I picked the Bombers to beat the Tie Cats. Uh, what was your record? I forget, man. I believe it was three and one as well. I imagine you picked the Bombers, correct? Yeah, I did. I uh, I know you picked Edmonton to win. Uh, did you pick Saskatchewan or Toronto? Yep, Toronto. Okay, so two and two week. Two and two, Edmonton. Yeah. Uh, let's get into the picks for week number 17. Uh, we have the Edmonton Eskimos looking to clinch a playoff spot, clinch that crossover uh, for the West Division. Uh, they roll into Hamilton to play the Red Hot Ticats. Hamilton. No disagreement for me. For, for the reason you stated in the first five minutes of this podcast, just hit the rewind button. Yeah, uh, to me, the Ticats are the better football team. They're going to continue to keep rolling. Uh, is this a rematch? This is a rematch of a couple weeks ago, right? Yeah, these two teams played each other two weeks ago. Hamilton jumped out to that 24 nothing lead, uh, or 21 nothing. Uh, Edmonton comes back. Hamilton wins on the final field goal. So do you think anything from that carries over to this game, Mike? The, uh, the match between Hamilton and Edmonton, the crazy comeback the Esks had two weeks ago. Do you think that rallies them up at all for a win here? No, I, I really don't. Uh, I, I think Hamilton's just that good. And expecting Logan Taylor, Taylor to be the quarterback, I really think people will be flabbergasted how much of a blowout this will be. 
in favor of the Thai Cats. Uh, triple header on Saturday starts off with the Montreal Alouettes hosting the Calgary Stampeders. You know, I like to go on track records with CFL Pick'em, right? Mm-hmm. So generally, I take the Calgary Stampeders. Except there is one building, one stadium in yeah. Canada that the Calgary Stampeders have a terrible track record in. And that's Percival Molson Stadium. They in fairness, struggled. in fairness, a lot of this goes back to the Calvillo era, where a lot of teams. But even trouble. in recent years, when Montreal's been bad and Calgary has been dominant, they still come in. Last year, they won a game like thirteen to six only in Montreal. Uh, heck, Vernon Adams is back in. I'm gonna take the Alouettes over the Stampeders to continue this. Yeah, I'm there too. Uh, Montreal wins a close one at home. Uh, so a win by Montreal would clinch them a playoff spot here, which, uh, the, while it doesn't... Would pick, eliminate everybody else, depending on what Edmonton does. Yeah, yeah, an Edmonton win and a Montreal win, I believe, and we have our six teams in the playoffs. Um, next game is the Bombers in Saskatchewan face the Riders. Huge matchup here. Um, we know the Bombers are making some lineup changes here. We, we've seen some talk of Brandon Alexander playing at safety, Nick Taylor possibly getting into the rotation in the defensive backfield. Looks like the Bombers uh, at least are a little serious here about trying to remedy things. Uh, question is, is it a player personnel issue out on the field? Is it Richie Hall's scheme? Can they turn the ship around in Regina? The ship is sinking. Riders by 20. Oh, Mike, why? Why do you do this? Reverse mentality. I don't know if I want to come by here and watch the game with you Saturday night with that prediction. Well, I'm just being honest. I want to, teams, despite the records, appear to be going in opposite directions. I mean, I'm just messing with you. I'm taking the Riders to win this one as well. So uh, I, I hope to see the, tyke, the, the Bombers turn this thing around here, but... Uh, it's always tough to play in Regina, so it's a very Winnipeg-ish thing, eh? They, they they can turn things around and have a great game this week. I just don't know if that's going to be enough to beat the Riders. Like I could see them losing another walk-off homer for Brett Otter. It's a very Winnipeg-ish thing to do. But when teams don't go well with our teams, we right away think, "Oh, we assume the worst." It's like Winnipeg can't have anything good. Yeah. The season hasn't even started, and I'm sure there's people claiming the Jets are going to win the draft lottery this year. So. Face off is tomorrow, guys. It's game one of 82. Enjoy the season, will you? And here I'm just hoping my Tampa Bay Lightning don't choke again this year. <laughs> A reminder, Ryan, they went out in four games. Yeah, they won 16. And had a 3 nothing lead in game one. Don't remind me, Mike. New season. Maybe they'll win 63 in the regular season this year. Anyways, final CFL game of the week. Now this one... Could not matter in terms of playoff scenarios by the time it's played. Toronto and BC could both be eliminated at that point, or uh, both of them could be in playoff contention, and one would effectively, I believe, knock the other out, potentially. Uh, BC hosting the Argos. Make it four straight wins for the Lions? Yes, guy. I think think it is. I, I like the way things are rolling. It's nice to see Mike Riley... First of all, being upright, not just lying on the field after getting sacked the entire time. And uh, he's playing pretty well there with the Lions offense right now. Their defense is tightening things up. Uh, I will take the Lions over the Argos. Perfect. Anything else that we uh, forgot to add that you would like to add? 
yes, uh, Grey Cup fit up day 50 is this Friday. Halfway to the end of the, halfway to the Grey Cup, uh, the end of the Grey Cup fit up challenge. So it's day 50 this Friday, but it could also be day one. If you haven't joined yet or you dropped out along the way and want to get back into it, uh, hey, there's always time to do so. It's never too late to, to get in on the Grey Cup fit up. So, 30 minutes of exercise a day. Follow along on Twitter, hashtag Grey Cup Fit Up, and uh, I'm still slugging along here. And uh, I hope if you're thinking about it, get up and join us. All right, I'm gonna wrap things up here right now, real fast. Uh, if you want to follow us, where do people follow you on Twitter? Uh, you can follow me at Cooper Trooper 42. And you can follow me at my Darrow. Reminder the Canadian Football Countdown is a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Listen to this and all the other great shows, the Chia Pod Network on Twitter and ChiaPodNetwork.ca. We're back next week on Monday. Potentially. On the radio. Yes. We may record it Saturday night after the Bomber game. Stay tuned. Depends Follow on us t- on Twitter at CFC on Mike FM for all of that. Like, subscribe, review rate on all the podcast platforms as well. Do I do the sign off? For Michael Garrell, I'm Ryan Coop saying thank you for listening. Have a good week and we'll talk to you again next week. Bye. Bye.